You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I had a dream last night. I won't go into all the details. Don't. Because <laughs> the, the whole thing in the dream as I'm in there, I'm, I don't know it's a dream, but I am thinking to myself, this is so boring, and I don't want to be going through this event right now. I really want to move past this, but I'm just stuck in it. And I woke up, and I was like, what a boring dream. Aww. And I mean, there was like a motorcycle gang and like a gas station getting robbed and all this stuff. But in it, I'm just like, I just, can I just skip this? Can Damn. I move past? Do you ever get that in life? Where you're just oh, like, yeah, I was about to I say, that sounds more like real life. Don't want to be sitting through this right now. It'll be like a really intense experience for someone else. And mm. you're just like, I don't, I want this episode to be over. I just am <laughs> not enjoying it. Can we move past it? Oh my God. Constantly. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry your dream writers were off their game they last were, night. Oof, man, they, they, 11.50 p.m. They were like, oh shit, we don't have tomorrow's episode. Quick. <laughs> just give them something. Ugh, Throw them some trash. Terrible. <laughs> Pull the drafts out of the trash can. <laughs> yeah, right. I woke up not remembering my dream at all, but I know it had something to do with the French Revolution, and I know why. Oh. <laughs> because well, I've been <laughs> go on. researching Victor Hugo, and I had, like, I don't know, pitchforks and stuff. <laughs> I don't know what it was about, but I know it was about the revolution. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better segue into today's episode. <laughs> That's right, because we're talking about Victor Hugo. Yep. All, all my dreams are coming true <laughs> today. <laughs> so yeah, when we last left Victor Hugo, we had learned about his early childhood being swept up in his parents' acrimonious divorce. And that against his mother's wishes, Victor had become secretly engaged to his childhood friend, Adele Foucher. Now, Ginny A., who is at the Perky Goth on Instagram, 
And Cassandra Carta both suggested Victor Hugo to us at different times. Yeah. And they were very right to do it because this <laughs> is some rich, ridiculous, romantic soil. Incredible stuff. Thank uh, you both for yeah. sending in Victor Hugo. Seriously. We got two episodes out of it. Yeah, for real. And our boy Victor had an enormous sex drive to match his prodigious writing talent. And it simply could not be confined to a single woman. <laughs> so let's talk about Victor Hugo and his wife, his mistress, his other mistress, and all the prostitutes in Paris. Oh, my favorite people. Yes, let's go. <laughs> hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Now, thanks to our exploration into his parents' love life, we know that when Victor Hugo was born, he was small and sickly. Ah, yes. Um, According to a history blog, edherd.com, Victor was also kind of deformed. He had like an enormous head and a small body. And this apparently made his mother flinch to look at him. Oh. And made his father compare him to the gargoyles of Notre Dame Cathedral, which is helped actually inspire Victor to write The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Sure, sure. But as our friend Victor Hugo biographer Graham Robb points out, while he might not have been much to look at, Victor actually had the perfect romantic body because it was like a weak physical corporation struggling to support a massive intellect. Uh, you know, So like, like the romantics as a group, not like romantic right. body like fabio oh no 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 yeah, yeah. not like uh <laughs> the perfect body for the romantic period <laughs> it wouldn't be on the cover of a regency right. novel um but yeah for the romantic period the head and the heart were more important than the body right so it was something cool that you were like oh my brain is <laughs> just so enormous um later in his life victor would be very proud of his big old head He's often pictured resting his head in his hands as though his brain is just too heavy for his neck to hold up. Hey. Pretty awesome. There's nothing wrong with having a giant head. I know you. I knew you would appreciate it. Yeah. Why? Big head haver yourself. Wait, why? Oh, I'm sorry. You think I have a big head? Um, Yeah. Physically and metaphorically. (laughs) Wow. I have to special order hats. It's It's tough. It's tough to find. One time my grandma gave you a hat that my grandfather wore. Well, and your grandfather has a notoriously tiny head. He does. He (laughs) did. Which is funny because he was a big man. Yeah. But he did have kind of a smaller head. And I remember you trying to wear it and it just looked very ridiculous. And I was like, I'm so sorry, Grandma, that I cannot preserve this hat for you. (laughs) It looked like I was wearing like a British fastener. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it was like a full size fedora. Oh, my God. Now, Victor's giant head certainly didn't deter his childhood friend Adele Foucher from falling in love with him. And they became secretly engaged when they were just teenagers, which I mean, come on. We, I, I had teenage friends that we were like, you know, oh, if neither of us is married by 30. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Come Did on. any of them ever do it? No. Uh, one of my friends, uh, I, we were already married mm-hmm. and she got married at 29. Oh. And I was like, whew. I almost, you and I almost had to have a conversation. I'm like, Diana, before I ever met you, I promised myself. You should have mentioned this before we went to the altar. 
But, okay, so Adele and Victor did not, of course, get married right away as teenagers. Victor wanted to finish law school first. Mm -hmm. He confined his passion for her to around 200 love letters that he wrote during their courtship. And he also entered a poetry contest when he was only 15. His poetry was so advanced and well-written that the Academy absolutely refused to believe that these weren't written by an adult until his mom showed up with his birth certificate. <laughs> he had to produce a long-form birth certificate. Uh-huh. <laughs> no way this isn't just some tiny man. <laughs> with a giant head. Yeah, he's got an adult-sized head. He's clearly an adult. <laughs> But despite his incredible talent that mm-hmm. fooled even the French Academy, his father wasn't interested in his writing. Leopold, you remember from our previous episode, said that Victor's literary career was, quote, like pouring good wine down an open sewer. Damn. Wow. And he refused to help pay for any of Victor's education. He wrote, quote, If you were to elect a career as a lawyer or a physician, I would gladly make sacrifices to see you through university. (laughs) Tale is all the time. I mean, seriously, I myself, I don't know that this was the case, but it had been implied to me Mm -hmm. that my grandfather, who was a lawyer, might have paid for my school if I'd chosen to go to law school. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, this is just, I mean, we're at the French Revolution and parents still be like, you should be a doctor or a lawyer. I'm sick of this (laughs) art shit. Even in France. Even in France. You know? Well, that, of course, like many artists, made Victor all the more determined to make it as a writer so that, of course, he could prove to his dad that writing could pay more than an army salary. <laughs> and he published his first volume of poetry in 1822 at only 20 years old. And it was so good that it earned him a royal pension from King Louis XVIII. So he was able to marry Adele Foucher at last. But Adele Foucher also did not care about Victor's writing. Damn. Um, she ignored all the passionate love poems that he wrote for her. She told him, quote, It is the fault of passionate men to set the women they love upon a pedestal. To be placed so high produces dizziness, and dizziness leads to a fall. Okay. All right. That's fair. That is fair. I had a girlfriend who absolutely hated the notion of anyone like singing a song for her, like writing a song for her. Oh, wow. She was just like, it makes me so uncomfortable. Mm. I don't even want to hear it to the point where I was like learning guitar and she was like, you're going to have to do that on your own. I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to hear it. Wow. I think she had previously dated a songwriter. Well, yeah, that'll sour anybody on on a song because, you know, they're going to go sing it to some other bitch. Oh, damn. (laughs) Probably. But once Victor and Adele Foucher got married, Victor could show her his desire and his devotion in a more physical way. And boy, did he. Uh On their wedding night, he bragged that they had sex nine times before Adele finally was like, no, Victor, get off me. I need to get some sleep. (laughs) Damn. And the guy just could not get enough. And one biographer, Edward Bear, wrote that Adele's feelings for him were never the same after that oh. night. He described it as a brutal night, which I can kind of believe if nine times is kind of hot. Well, and had they not had sex before they got no. married? Okay. No. So he was like off to the races. Yeah. And she was like, okay, that's enough. A little sore. Yeah. And like, ah, this is not what I expected. Victor, um, <laughs> buddy, pump the brakes. I mean, for real, <laughs> you got to wait for nine times. Let's be honest. Yeah. But that was not the only drama that accompanied his marriage, because Victor's older brother, Eugène, was also secretly in love with Adele. Oh. 
And he had a bit of a competitive streak with Victor. He was also a poet, and Victor's already showing him up as a writer. So when his lady love chose Victor over him, Ujan suffered from a mental breakdown at the wedding. And it was so severe that he had to be placed in an asylum. Mm. Tragically, Ujan never recovered his reason, and he died by suicide at only 37 years old. Oh, that's awful. I know. It's quite a few little tragedies like that throughout Victor's life. Yeah. Now, over the next eight years, Adele Foucher ended up pregnant five times. Their first child, a son named Leopold, he died in infancy. And then they had their daughter, Leopoldine, in 1824, and then Charles in 1826, Francois Victor in 28, and finally their daughter, Adele, in 1830. Adele Jr., I guess. Right. Um, after that, his wife, Adele Foucher, completely ceased having sex with her husband. I mean, maybe she was just totally exhausted by his, you know, absolute insatiability. I could believe it. Uh, maybe she just really didn't want to get pregnant again. I could believe maybe it. Maybe a combo of both. <laughs> but it sounds like, I mean, she basically like nailed boards to her bedroom door. <laughs> like, like, do not out. enter. No boys allowed. No boys allowed. <laughs> no victors. <laughs> no victors allowed. <laughs> but not long after Adele Hugo, Adele Jr. was born, Adele Foucher started having an affair with Victor's friend. And that brings us to our first side piece. I'm a bad boy. Yes, Adele got with Victor's friend, a literary critic named Charles Augustin Saint-Beuve. So we're kind of getting shades of Sophie Trebuchet here, right? right. Who, Victor's mother, of course, who got with her husband's best friend. Right. The other Victor, La Horie. Yes, right. But according to Victor Hugo scholar Marva Barnett, Charles, quote, may have been the perfect lover, as he was apparently physically incapable of sexual intercourse. Uh, that's so, how sick Adele was of having sex. Right. After eight years of being married to like, Victor Hugo. I'm going to have an affair with someone who doesn't do it. Like, yeah. this is a non-sexual affair, <laughs> I guess. This is locked in. I'm <laughs> right. not, no one's touching this again. <laughs> so they had this emotional affair, but it included secret letters and clandestine meetings, and it really bothered Victor. Mm -hmm. He wrote to his wife's lover and his friend, Charles Saint-Beuve, quote, I am convinced that it might be that what has all my love might have ceased to love me, and that it may have had a little bit to do with you. It's no good going over everything you have said and telling myself the very idea is folly. It's still a drop of poison, sufficient to poison my entire life. Sure, go ahead. Pity me. I am genuinely unhappy. I don't know where I stand with the two beings I love most in the world. You are one of the two. Wow. And it's kind of clunky. Mm -hmm. She actually says that the clunky writing may have been indicative of Victor's emotional state when he wrote it. Yeah, it's usually he's a little more eloquent. Yeah, he's kind of a writer. Sort of get at words. It's sort of his thing. <laughs> so but this, this very like, cluttered uh, sentence. Uh, some book, like he's really writing in distress. Yeah, yes, he did not do a second draft of this. <laughs> no. Now, Victor became estranged from his friend St. Beuve after that. But when Charles was made a member of the French Academy in 1845, Victor Hugo had to give his reception speech. <laughs> Very awkward. Oh, Lord. What was it? Oh, God. <laughs> Do you yeah. think he was up there like, Distinguished friends of the Academy, it is with great pleasure that we bring on to our membership Charles Augustin Stemper. He has a great talent for critiquing and also for sleeping with other men's wives. <laughs> but when Adele Foucher stopped sleeping with Victor, he was already a famous writer. Mm. 
He had published several volumes of poetry, a few plays, and a few fictional novels, including the famous Hunchback of Notre Dame, which was published in 1830. So it's not like he had any trouble finding a lady to replace Adele Ah. uh, in his bed or anything. Um, It may be that Victor did not start sleeping with other women until Adele cut him off and started having her own affair. But he was much less picky than she was. (laughs) In the book, The Intimate Sex Lives of Famous People by Irving Wallace, he writes, quote, Victor craved affairs with women who were passionate, witty and challenging, but he often settled for sheer numbers. Wow. Okay. (laughs) So unlike Adele Foucher, who was like, I need to find the perfect lover Uh who doesn't actually want to have physical sex with me. Right. Victor was like, I need to find the perfect lover, which is anyone Anyone. who will have sex with me. (laughs) (laughs) I love love. I'm interested in all of you. Yeah, he did not care if they were prostitutes, courtesans, actresses, servants, married, single. He was into it. (laughs) But he did like them young. Mm. Wallace writes, quote, in fact, as he grew older, they were often young enough to be his granddaughters. Oh. Any woman or girl who was young, attractive, and amenable was fair game. I like the word amenable. At least, yes, at least they were amenable. (laughs) He wasn't like forcing his attentions on anyone who didn't want them. Um, And according to Graham Robb, he would pick up women on Paris buses, and he would also hire prostitutes to put on strip shows for him. Wow. One of the young, attractive, and amenable women that he romped with was a woman who would become the true love of Victor's life. And that brings us to our second side piece. I love you. The actress Juliette Drouet was a beautiful, intelligent, impulsive, and hot-tempered woman with bright eyes and raven black hair. She'd been a precocious child and later became the mistress of a sculptor named James Pradier. And this guy and her had a daughter together named Claire. On Pradier's advice, Juliette became an actress. And in 1833, she was playing Princess Negroni in one of Victor Hugo's plays, Lucrezia Borgia. Now, Victor was just smitten with this young actress in his show, and he swept her off her feet. And they consummated their love on February 16th, which they marked every year as their own little anniversary. Mm -hmm. And also, interesting side note, this is the date of Marius and Cosette's wedding in Les Mis. Victor writes a lot of his own life Mm -hmm, into especially Les Mis, it seems. Yeah. Well, so long. (laughs) So many opportunities to throw in references. He's just like, ah, think of a date. What is a good good number for this guy's prison (laughs) number? Oh, uh, what what did my dad give me that number? Oh, it was the date I was conceived. Yeah. I'll just use that. (laughs) The day my dad was definitely sleeping with my mom on a mountaintop. (laughs) They didn't have random number generators back then. They (laughs) just had to use what they had in in their mind. Now, later that year, Juliet also starred in another one of Hugo's plays, Mary Tudor, as Lady Jane Grey. But according to Carol A. Seidel in her article, The Lonely and Devoted Life of Juliet Drouet, Victor was afraid that Juliet's beauty would attract other men. So he insisted that she just stay home unless he could escort her. God knows you don't have a will of your own. So if some man sees you and thinks you're pretty, right. you would immediately sleep with him. You know, like, what is this nonsense, Victor? It's a little abusive. Yeah, absolutely. So, consequently, Juliet did spend a lot of time at home, and unfortunately, that made her career totally dry up. Plus, apparently, it was serious enough between them that Victor's wife, Adele Foucher, got super jealous, and she slowly stopped her own affair with Charles Sainte-Beuve, 
and even wrote to theater managers saying that if they cast Juliet, it would be detrimental to their ticket sales. Damn. Although coming after her career. I know that's that's very harsh. Ouch. But it must be said that Juliet was also described as a lackluster actress. <laughs> so not sure how much help the theater managers needed to not cast her in things, you know? You think they responded to it down like, oh, do not fear. Uh, <laughs> she has no chance. <laughs> or they just used that later. Oh, I'm so oh, sorry. No. We cannot cast you. It turns, someone no. told us uh, you're bad tickets, bad ticket sales. <laughs> so sorry. Oopsie. It's not you. It's you. It's you? I know, right? <laughs> uh. It's not your talent. It's just that people don't like you. Uh, <laughs> Theater managers, great at making actresses feel better. I, right. I'm really. like, poor young actor. You can't say nothing to her no. that she wants to hear except your cast. <laughs> <laughs> Carol Seidel says in that article that in 1839, Victor and Juliet celebrated a secret kind of marriage where Victor swore never to leave Juliet. And she renounced the stage altogether to become his secretary and his traveling companion. Hmm. But even though Victor was totally in love with Juliet and she was totally in love with him, it didn't stop him from enjoying a true Parisian sex smorgasbord. Oh, yes. And we will get to those dirty details right after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Welcome back, everyone, to Victor Hugo's crazy sex romp through Paris. <laughs> yeah, Irving Wallace writes in The Intimate Sex Lives of Famous People, quote, It was not unusual for Victor to make love to a young prostitute in the morning, an appreciative actress before lunch, a compliant courtesan as an aperitif, and then join the also indefatigable Juliet for a night of sex. 
Wow. I got tired just reading that. I know, right? (laughs) Young prostitute in the morning, appreciative actress before lunch. Okay, now. All right. A lot of actresses out there having sex are very good at seeming appreciative, (laughs) especially with a famed playwright. Okay. They're like, thank you for writing a part for me or something, right? right? Or helping me get cast or whatever. Let's hope so. Let's hope he followed through with it. But it sounds like he slept with too many actresses. I know. How could he possibly? There's not enough parts for all of them. <laughs> he wrote a play called like 200 Women yeah, and they all talk at least once. <laughs> I gotta add another character into this show. My stupid dick is getting me in so My much trouble. stupid dick. <laughs> he even had a little sex code that he used in his diaries. Oh my. Uh, including like Latin and Spanish words, uh, homophones, uh, which are, you know, words that sound alike. Uh-huh. So for example, the word sang means breasts in French. Oh. So he would write saint or saint. Uh, oh, the word, to mean like, oh, like, I squeezed some saints last I night. I squeezed some good saints last wow. night, right? Or like <laughs> the French word for stove, P-O-E-L or poil. Uh, he would write that to refer to P-O-I-L-S, poil, which means pubic hair. Wow. So I'm like trying to read his diary in my head uh-huh. where he's like, oh, last night. I pressed my face to her saints and they are as soft as her stove. (laughs) (laughs) You're reading it like, what? What is he talking about? Soft as a stove. (laughs) Although I can't imagine it took like some brilliant literary genius to decode his homonyms. Oh, okay. So he's talking about pubic hair. (laughs) Like, did he just spell it wrong? Does Victor Hugo not know how to spell? (laughs) Also, analogies were applied. Um, A woman's Suisse or Swiss are her breasts because Switzerland is renowned for its milk. Wow. Childish. (laughs) (laughs) True. That's all I have to say about that one. And then we had to lift the rest of this actually off his Wikipedia page because it's the most uh, complete version that I could find. But they write, quote, after a rendezvous with a young woman named Letitia, he would write joie or happiness in his diary. If he added TN to nu, he meant that she stripped naked in front of him. Wow. So he seduced his servants. He often paid for sex. He slept with married women, but only if they weren't living with their husbands. Gotta have standards. <laughs> <laughs> and he had an affair with a famous revolutionary, Louise Michel, who was actually at Victor Noir's funeral. Oh. Do you remember our episode about the bulge that everybody yeah. <laughs> keeps rubbing up on? Yeah, he was the journalist who stood up you know, right. who didn't really want to. He just kind of became a symbol for liberty. Right. And Louise Michelle said that she was sorry his funeral had not sparked the revolution that very day. In 1847, he even seduced the lover of his own son, Charles, Alice Ozy. <laughs> Damn. The story goes that Charles thought that Alice was seeing other people. So Victor wrote her erotic letters trying to prove that she was cheating. Mm-hmm. But. She responded to those letters. (laughs) One thing led to another, and Alice and Victor ended up banging, which on the plus side did prove her infidelity. (laughs) He's like, I did it. (laughs) So awkward. Hey, hey, Dad, Mm -hmm. uh, I think my wife is cheating on me. Will you try and pretend to seduce her to see if she falls for it? And then, like, two weeks later, he's like, Son, I've got some good news and some bad news. (laughs) Charles, for his part, apparently understood. According to Victor Hugo's biographer, Graham Robb, he wrote to Alice, quote, You chose the father and the glory. I cannot blame you. Any woman would. Damn, He's like, look, it was my bad. I sent my dad to try and seduce (laughs) you. And the man has got a a flawless record. He just never misses. (laughs) That was 
What was I thinking? He's hundreds for a zero yeah. <laughs> on this one. <laughs> now, Alice Ozy herself would actually later become Napoleon III's mistress. Oh. So she did all right. Yeah, she was flying she high. She stayed high in the ranks. Flying yeah. high there for a while. Yeah. Now, Victor Hugo also had a bit of a foot fetish, oh. and he was turned on by intrigue. Hmm. Wallace writes in Intimate Sex Lives, quote, He often admitted his mistresses through secret staircases and entertained them in hidden rooms, even when this was not really necessary. Wow. Uh, During much of his life, he held dinner parties every night with up to 30 guests and would entertain them with his party trick, where, as The Guardian describes, he'd, quote, shove an entire orange in his mouth, then fill his cheeks with as many lumps of sugar as possible. He'd then churn it all up in his mouth and glug down two glasses of Kirsch, which is a brandy made from cherries, before swallowing the lot. Neat. Uh, <laughs> so he just mixed his own drink in his mouth with yes. a full orange? <laughs> Jeez. Victor, my man, use a glass. It sounds delicious. I, you can afford one. I know that. <laughs> a craft article by Cedric Voet says that many guests were encouraged to stay the night after these parties in Victor's vast mansion. Quote, but what people didn't figure out until his house was put up for auction after his death was that all the guest bedrooms had peepholes drilled into them. Oh, that's very uncomfortable. Yikes. Victor is like, I hope y'all get it on because then I can watch. What? I mean, honestly, that's not any different from like having secret cameras installed over every bedroom. Not really. I I, I guess it requires a little more effort on your part because you have to like go from room to room. But the result is the same. I, I wonder if, you know, somebody had one of those paintings. And the oh, eyes well. disappear, and then <laughs> his little it. bug eyes are poking through. <laughs> it would have to be a big head painting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real big head painting. Uh, Victor also liked to write naked. Uh, he would lock himself naked in his room to work and instruct his servants not to give his clothes back until he had finished a chapter. Wow. According to The Guardian, in her memoirs, Adele Foucher wrote that while he was writing Hunchback, Victor bought, quote, a huge gray knitted shawl which swathed him from head to foot, locked his formal clothes away so that he would not be tempted to go out, and entered his novel as if it were a prison. He was very sad. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, writers, you know, writing, the discipline of writing is incredibly difficult. Right? I was like, honestly, I've heard things just like this. I mean, where people are like, I have to come up with some method of tricking myself or or punishing myself into finishing my work. Otherwise, it just won't get done. Right. I kind of like the relatability to that. Mm -hmm. Victor Hugo, one of the greatest authors of all time, was also like, lock me in my room and don't let me out until I finish a chapter. Otherwise, I'm going to spend all day just having sex and (laughs) swallowing whole oranges. (laughs) The minute I get bored, Uh I'm out there finding a brothel. Yeah. You can see why he rewarded himself, too, though, at the end of the night. True. (laughs) I've been naked in my room all day in this drafty room, writing incredible literature. (laughs) I'm going to, I earned it. I'm going to go get laid. I deserve a treat. (laughs) I deserve an actress or two. (laughs) But between all of these prostitutes and servant girls and actresses and son's girlfriends, and (laughs) even Juliet herself, it might be assumed that Victor was busy enough. You know, uh, who has the time? Uh, But this guy was insatiable. He was always hungry for more. And that brings us to our third and final side piece. Bring it on! Author and Arctic explorer Leonie Donet-Biard was living with the painter François-Auguste Biard in 1838, and they later married in 1840, when she heard about a scientific expedition to the Arctic. 
and she convinced Francois to get a gig as the official painter and bring her along. And this made her the first woman to participate in a scientific expedition to the North. Cool. Can't blame her. She's living that, um, she's living that Dorothy Putnam life. Right? She's like, put me on that boat. I want to get out there, whatever it takes. Yeah, let me check it out. I love also, it. Also, I love the idea of an official painter, but it makes perfect sense. I know, Because not like right? you could take photos. They didn't have a photographer, right? So I love that they were, he was like, we really need a good painter. Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Any volunteers? How fast can you paint? <laughs> How much white paint do you have? We're right, going up yeah. north. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Léonie went on this expedition, and she published her letters from the time in serial form when she returned to Paris. And she would go to those literary salons that we all wish we could go to. (laughs) And there she met Victor Hugo in the autumn of 1843, when he's about 40-ish, 41 years old. Mm -hmm. Now, Victor's emotional state was pretty bad in the autumn of 1843 because his favorite child, his eldest, Leopoldine, had been married in February of that year. And she was 19 years old and pregnant when she and her husband, Charles, got on a boat in the Seine for a trip like a few months later in September. And the boat capsized. Leopoldine's heavy skirts dragged her down in the current. And Charles dove in to save her. But tragically, they both drowned. It's like the saddest story I've ever heard. Absolutely Young, like in love, newlyweds. Yeah. So sad. And Victor Hugo found out when he picked up a newspaper in a cafe. Oh, jeez. Also an extra tragedy, in my opinion. I know. No one, no one could get the news to him before they got it to the, to the to press. The paper. I know. That's so upsetting. He's not a hard guy to find. Not really. And yeah, he was never really the same after that. Sure. Um, he became clinically depressed. He had trouble writing much for a few years after her death. He was suffering from really serious writer's block. Although he did write several poems dedicated to Leopoldine. And in one of his most famous, he describes visiting her grave. So let's go down to Poetry Corner and hear Demain de l'Aube, or Tomorrow at Dawn. Tomorrow at dawn, at the moment when the land whitens, I will leave. You see, I know that you are waiting for me. I will go through the forest, I will go across mountains. I cannot stay away from you any longer. I will walk, eyes fixed on my thoughts, without seeing anything outside, without hearing a noise, alone, unknown, back hunched, hands crossed, sorrowed, and the day for me will be as the night. I will watch neither the evening setting sun, nor the faraway sailboats descending upon Harfleur. And when I arrive, I will put on your grave a bouquet of green holly and heather in bloom. Ugh. Just can't even Devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when Victor met Leonie Biard, he was maybe feeling even more open than usual for something fresh and ah. fun and gave him like a honeymoon feeling. And right. He was really devastated at this time in his life. So they fell hard for each other. Um, they started a serious affair that became public knowledge in July 1845. After Leonie's husband, Francois Biard, got suspicious about what his wife was up to with this old randy dog, Hugo, (laughs) and he got the police to tail her. Mm. They followed her to a hotel and burst in on her naked and in criminal conversation with Victor Hugo. Do you remember our Lady Seymour Worsley episode? Right. Criminal conversation is what they called adultery. The legal code, yeah. in Uh In the courts. But by this time, Victor had been nominated by King Louis-Philippe 
to the upper chamber of parliament. He had just been inducted that April. So he was able to invoke his parliamentary privilege, I guess, not to be arrested for embarrassing things. I don't don't know what his privilege was. He's just like, I'm a peer. You can't take me in. Wow. So he was let go. Meanwhile, Leone was arrested and spent two months in prison. Oh, come on. Then she was transferred to a convent for another six months. Wow. So she got all the blame. Not unusual, unfortunately. Right, of course, Um, of course. But King Louis-Philippe apparently awarded Francois Biard a commission to appease him so that he wouldn't drag everybody through like a big divorce trial. Wow, He's like, I'll let you paint me. <laughs> you just leave it be. <laughs> I think it's interesting, uh, Victor Hugo as a, a senator. If you look up, if you just Google Victor Hugo, it says, Victor Hugo, French senator. Right. And right? then, like, down the way, it's like, Auntie was an author. I'm like, y'all. Oh. And nobody remembers Victor Hugo for As his political position. I mean, maybe in France they do, but I doubt maybe. it. Come on. He's, <laughs> like, one of the most renowned authors of all time. Seriously. And he also was really great at drawing. They said if he was, if he had chosen to be a painter, he uh-huh. would have been a, one of the greatest painters. Right. He was good at music. And the guy was good at a lot of things. Yeah. But yeah, Senator, way down the list for me. <laughs> Nobody's like, the number one thing I know Arnold Schwarzenegger for is being a governor. <laughs> governor of California. <laughs> Come on. But even with all this legal hullabaloo, Leonie and Victor carried on their affair for another six years. Mm. He also gave her money to support her kids for the rest of her life. And this wasn't really out of the ordinary for Victor. He was apparently pretty extravagant with all of his lovers, and he would give them lavish gifts or, uh, you know, settle houses on them. You can kind of see why a lot of them are like, oh, you want to sleep with me? That sounds pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) I might be set for life. I may be the 14th girl you slept with today, (laughs) but at least I might get a car out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Might get a piece of property from Uh this guy. Now, his wife, if you remember that Victor Hugo has a wife, Adele (laughs) Foucher, she was so happy to see a competitor for the actress, Juliette Drouet, that she visited Leonie in the convent, and when she got out, she helped her launch her literary career. So she was like, better you than that actress. You I know? know. I don't know why. I guess she just was like, I want to dislodge anyone who's been here yeah. for a long time yeah. in your heart. Right. But Leonie did her best to depose Juliet, too. So those two ladies are working together oh, yeah. against this actress. She begged Victor to dump her. And when that didn't work, Leonie gathered up all the love letters that Victor had written for her. And she had them delivered to Juliet. So, of course, Juliet gets all these love letters to another woman. And she's pissed off and she's heartbroken at Victor's infidelity. How dare you cheat on me, the woman you're cheating on your wife with, (laughs) with another woman. So, I mean, mean, you know, well, she just felt like little flings with actresses and prostitutes for one thing. But a committed affair that lasted seven years was another. Like, you, you owe me something. Right. But, okay, then... Napoleon III came along and everything was different. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you all remember uh, Maximilian and Carlotta and, and a number of other European mm-hmm. episodes, Napoleon III loved throwing wrenches and gears. He did. He made his mark. Uh-huh. Year. And we're going to find out more about all of that right after this break. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A dot com. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Welcome back, everyone. So Victor Hugo was a Republican, right? He wasn't into kings and queens. He wasn't. Okay. A, he wanted there to be a republic of France. He was really into that. And in his political life, he argued against the death penalty, against slavery, for freedom of the press. He wanted an end to misery and poverty, which mm. sounds really easy to say. <laughs> I was like, what? He was like, I'm no. doing my part by supporting all the sex workers in France. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've enriched so many ladies. <laughs> right. Uh, he also argued for universal suffrage and free education for children. Oh, there you go. So he was he was really active politically. He really wanted to <laughs> kind of form a new France. He wanted to be a big part of forming right. a new France. So if you weren't directly married to him, he treated women pretty well. He loved it. He was like, <laughs> you deserve the world, girl. <laughs> but in 1851, then president of France under the Second Republic, Louis Napoleon Bonaparte III, staged a coup d'etat and seized complete power of France. Victor Hugo immediately declared him a traitor. Mm. And that meant he had to get the hell out of France very quickly because right. they want to come kill him for saying shit about Napoleon III. Yep. And it was Juliette Drouet who risked her life to save Victor Hugo. Carol Seidel says that she arranged his false identity papers, a disguise, and coordinated a series of safe houses for him to hide in as he made his way to Brussels. Wow. Which could not have been easy because Victor Hugo was already so famous by then that people would steal pebbles from cobblestones he walked on as souvenirs. Wow. Imagine that. So I don't even think Beyonce gets that kind of treatment. <laughs> <laughs> I would steal a pebble from under Beyonce's feet. <laughs> wow. But you got to imagine... This disguise must have been tough because Napoleon III could just tell his men, look for a man with a giant head, in, the biggest head in France. <laughs> I saw it. I saw I read somewhere there was just a fake beard and a top hat. Wow. I mean, it's got to be more than that, though, right? <laughs> this is a very recognizable guy. No top hat could fit Victor Hugo's head. <laughs> no, this guy. Let this him guy go. This guy couldn't be him. 
<laughs> Maybe it's a Clark Kent situation. <laughs> right, like, yeah. put glasses on and everyone's like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Now, Juliette Drouet joined him in Brussels with trunks full of Victor's works in progress that oh. she had saved from angry mobs. Wow. Including two-thirds of Les Miserables, which he had been working on since 1830. Jeez. Uh, and she was real into it. There's some of her letters are like, if you don't make these guys suffer for the things they're doing, I oh, swear wow. to God, like, she's such a fan of the book. So she was really careful with his work. And I, I gotta say, it reminds me of a number of other stories we've yeah. told where the these these famous men's Lovers and wives mm -hmm. were often the ones who preserved their work. Exactly. I was thinking a lot about Anna Douglas, yeah. who, who uh, she smuggled Frederick Douglass out of right. slavery. Right. If it weren't for her, he would never have been himself. Right. You know? So it's just really cool. Uh, Victor went from Brussels to Jersey, and then he finally settled on the island of Guernsey, and his family joined him there in 1855. And if you're a romance movie fan like myself, <laughs> go on Netflix and watch the Guernsey Literary Potato Peel Pie Society. Oh, it yeah. is so good and cute. I love it. <laughs> Leonie Biard wanted to come to Guernsey, too, but Victor's wife, Adele Foucher, actually discouraged her. Remember, they were even kind of getting along. Right. Because they both hated Juliet, the, uh -huh. the, the second woman, so much. That's why I, I wonder if Adele was like, well, Juliet's already here. That's enough. That's enough. I don't need yeah, Victor having right. another lady around. But Leonie still wrote to Victor. At this point, though, Juliette proved how smart she was. Because she was living near Victor and his entire family in her own separate residence, although Victor visited her every day. They had meals together. They took walks. Carol Seidel writes that she was so much happier during this period of time because Victor was less distracted with his plays and politics. And so he could spend more time with her. Adele and the kids would come and go, returning to France for long periods, but Juliet never left his side. Juliet was also allowed to leave her home by herself and make a few friends and even became close to Victor's children. But she was always deferential to Adele, the wife. And she never set foot in the family home. She never did any petty shit to try and come between them. Right. And little by little, over the years spent on Guernsey, Juliet actually won Adele over. They become friendly and even sent each other gifts on occasion. And in her will, Adele told her kids that they should look after Juliet if Victor should die before her. Wow. wow. I think that's nice. Yeah. She was like, all right, you're just part of There's even like a family photo with Juliet in it. All the kids yeah. and, and Adele. Like she was just like, you're part of the family now, I guess. Gotta wonder if Leonie felt a little betrayed by Adele. Like, I thought you and right? me were working against this, this actress <laughs> together, and now you're friends with her? <laughs> so, Sorry, Leonie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's too bad. There was no going back to Leonie at this point. But don't worry about her. She got legally separated from her husband, the painter Francois, in 1855. And Leonie became a distinguished author in her own right. So she did okay. There you go, girl. Yeah. Handle it. Handle it. Probably would have been hard to be a distinguished author as victor hugo's mistress you right. know like you're in a shadow there a little bit very true very true or they would like immediately be like oh he must have helped you write this yes, or he right? probably even like wrote it and you uh -huh. kind of put your name on it like i could see all kinds of didn't that happen with like that. colette colette yeah yeah willie got all the credit for claudine novels right uh, i know later in her life she she got all her credit but originally yeah they were published under his name you're telling me that a man <laughs> Got credit for a woman's hard work mm. at some point in history. I don't I don't buy it. So hard to believe. <laughs> so hard to believe. But these things happen. You know, these things happen. It's I a weird need to world. see the receipts. <laughs> 
oh, there are plentiful receipts. Oh, wait, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Here they are. I'm it's drowning like, in receipts. Excuse me. <laughs> it's like the Harry Potter getting his letter. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, the whole time Victor is living in exile in Guernsey, he was writing. He wrote three collections of poetry, pamphlets against Napoleon III. Of course. Uh, he convinced Geneva, Portugal, and Colombia to remove the death penalty from their constitution. Oh, nice. And you'll be happy to know, Eli, that he did plead in vain with Juarez to spare Maximilian I of Mexico. Oh, God. We were friend. all we were all trying to get Juarez uh, to we get were, off that shit. We Everyone were. I know wrote a letter in the Juarez. <laughs> but he all my friends. Please let that guy. But Juarez, he just couldn't. I mean, politically, it didn't. Anyway, go listen That's to the Maximilian and Carlotta episode. <laughs> if you haven't heard it, it's my favorite story. That's it's so true. good. Victor Hugo also finally finished Les Miserables after 17 years. Wow. It's one of the longest novels ever written at 1,900 pages in the original French and 1,400 in English. Which just goes to show you how much more concise we can be All over right. here. If he ever described the time, that, that was a whole page <laughs> all by itself. It's also still considered one of the greatest books ever written. But even though Victor was a political exile in danger of having his book heavily censored by the French, he was determined to be paid the most anyone has ever been paid for a book. Uh-huh. He had to show dad. That's right. Yep. He was like, take this, Leopold. And he got it. Of course. Seltzer fans will enjoy this one because it was Belgian publisher Albert Lacroix who won the deal. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Any relation? I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> I, I, I like to think so. <laughs> he went from publishing to um, bubbly water. Sparkling, I don't yeah. <laughs> from publishing to sparkling, the Albert Lacroix story. <laughs> Albert Lacroix story. Uh, he had just launched his own publishing company, and he had very little money, kind of like Lacroix have very little flavor. Wow. And as soon as he heard that Victor Hugo had a new book, he hot-footed it to Guernsey to negotiate because he knew, he's like, this is going to sell. Yeah. If I get this book, my company is set. Yeah. Hugo was paid... 300,000 francs for an eight-year license. Not not even a lifelong copyright. Eight years wow. this guy got this book. And let me pull out the conversion calculator. Calculating transfer rate. That's around $3.8 million in today's money. Oof. According to biographer David Bellows, it still stands as the highest figure ever paid for a work of literature. And it's also likely the first time a bank ever made a loan to finance a book. Wow. Because Albert didn't have the money. So he was like, hey. <laughs> <sighs> Just one of these situations where it takes a Victor Hugo for a bunch of people to look around and say, wait a minute, I think the arts might have value. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> come on, guys. It's also the first book to be published under embargo, which means that no advance copies were given out to like get reviews and stuff oh, like that. Oh, okay. Um, instead, they released the first part Fantine by itself. It sold 6,000 copies on the first day. Mm. Hugo had insisted that cheap copies be made available, not just like fancy hardback copies. This was a really smart move because Les Miserables was brutally panned by critics, yeah. including Hugo's friend and fellow novelist, Alexander Dumas. But the people loved it, which makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's given kind what of it's a, about. the people's story. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, when subsequent chapters were published, shoppers showed up to bookstores with wheelbarrows so they could buy as many copies as possible. Wow. Mostly to sell them on the black market. I was going to say, what are they going to do? <laughs> Which well, I don't I've already Albert... read that one. I need a fresh copy. <laughs> I don't think Albert Lacroix was really into that, right, <laughs> that right. idea, but common scheme, I imagine. And it just did so well that it only took a few months for Lacroix to pay off his huge bank loan. Wow. 
But he did all right. And he, and he right. took that money and he put bubbles in water. <laughs> bubbles in water <laughs> and let, let a line pass over it. <laughs> we should say that's Speculation Station. I have no idea totally, if he was involved. Totally Speculation Station. We don't know what happened. With bubbly water. Now, Adele Foucher, Victor's wife, passed away in 1868. And just two years later, Victor returned to Paris in 1870. And he was there when the Prussian army laid siege to the city. Victor was so starved for food at this point that he was eating animals that had been gifted to him by the Paris Zoo, which is upsetting. I I mean, I assume it was like marmots or uh, sloths. Did he He, have a giraffe? What's going on here? He just wrote that he was reduced to eating the unknown. The unknown. So it, I don't. I wonder if they even the animals were killed or died because there was no food. Oh, or something, right, right, right. And it turned into meat before it ever reached him. So he didn't even know what it was. I see. It, it, you know, so but it wasn't you're right, like it could be a giraffe. It wasn't it like he had like a rhinoceros <laughs> in his backyard and was like, "Well, I do not know what it is, but I know I can eat it." <laughs> Fire up the grill. <laughs> At one point, Victor feared the worst for himself, and he wrote to his family, "Quote, Juliette." She saved my life in December of 1851. For me, she underwent exile. Never has her soul forsaken mine. Let those who have loved me love her. Let those who have loved me respect her. She is my widow. Which is funny because even after Adele died, he didn't marry Juliet. Right. But he was definitely like, this is my lady. This is, yeah. Look, Look at everything she did for me. Seriously. And like you said, that she risked so much to preserve his work and mm-hmm. his name. Yeah. In 1873, Juliette came back to Paris, and she and Victor were finally able to live in the same house for the first time. I mean, that's like 40, 50 years they were together. Yeah. But he was still hound dogging it, just like always. I mean, it's Victor Hugo. He's like, I'm not going to turn this off, baby. I, mean, I can't. I am who I am. Even though he was 71 years old by the time. Oh, my God. Juliet found a love letter to him from one of their servants, a young woman named Blanche. And Juliet wrote Victor a letter of her own saying, quote, I won't long withstand this incessant conflict rising from my poor aging love, fighting against the young temptations that are offered to you when perhaps you are not seeking them. Right now, I forgive you because I want God to also forgive you. <laughs> he who alone has the right to punish and the power to deliver me as soon as possible from this hell on earth where my pitiful heart has been placed on the rack since the first minute that I gave myself to you. Damn. Wow, that's a lot. She's literally like, okay, maybe you weren't trying okay. to have sex with your servant girl. <laughs> I'm just going to assume you weren't, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go ahead and forgive you. <laughs> but you're making me feel absolutely insane and I can't wait for God to get me out of this hellhole. <laughs> Deliver me to, <laughs> to heaven. Amazing. The peace of death. I mean, but that says something. She was really obsessed with him. Yeah. Like a lot of her letters are just like gushing about his genius sure, sure. and how she just like barely deserves to be around him yeah. and all this stuff. So I, he probably liked that a lot. And I, I feel sorry for her that she couldn't. I almost feel sorry for her that she couldn't really shake it off. Right, right. Even though I can't be sorry that she preserved Les Mis and stuff. No. You know, her obsession really led to us getting to read a lot of his work. I got to imagine, I don't know, maybe you read this somewhere, but it sounds like the impression I got is that when Victor was with someone, he probably made them feel incredible, mm-hmm. like the center of the world. 
Yeah. Right. And then, of course, the next morning he's on to someone else. But Juliet, he keeps coming back to. Right. She's She clearly had a, I mean, I don't know what kind of choices she had available to her, but she was, yeah. as far as we can tell, willing to give up everything else she ever wanted to pursue mm -hmm. to devote herself entirely to him, even to the point where he, when he was exiled, she could have just been like, oh, good, he's gone. Right. But didn't. But did not. Right. Exactly. Did quite she the opposite. really into it. Carol Steedle was saying that she mainly seems to console herself with like knowing that she has this privileged position in this yeah. great artist's life okay. that she's like reading his drafts. She gets to hear his work before anyone else yeah. and stuff like that. That seems to be kind of, and maybe that's true for a lot of these women that they're just like uh, this amazing artist, an uh, uh, insane celebrity of like, uh, you know, a beloved figure. Yeah. That's that's enough for me. Right. To be I, I want a piece of that. You right. know, I just want to be a part of that person's life in some way. So that really meant something to her. And clearly he maybe he had a I don't know. I, I'm very interested in how he thought about sex and love, because when he was with Adele, it seems like he was pretty he was trying to stay faithful to her. Right. But he they did stay married. You know, they didn't want to separate. And then when he was like, I'm in love with Juliet, he he stayed with her for a long yeah. time. And he was just like, but I'm going to go out and like my I'm my appetites are so voracious. Right. Maybe he was really afraid to concentrate that on one woman. I would imagine that part of him probably learned too. maybe he and his wife Adele learned this together after she stopped wanting to have sex with him. Like, hey, you know what? We can have a marriage without sex. Sex doesn't have to be tied to monogamy, right? right. Like sex is just a thing that you're doing for pleasure, for fun, whatever. And I don't want to. Right. So if you do go for it, mm -hmm. um, just, you know, be careful with this the emotional side of things. If you're right. falling in love with someone else instead of me. And that almost seemed to lead them into this kind of proto uh, polyamory, right? right? Where he's like, actually, I don't love you any less mm -hmm. when I love her. Right. Um, you know, how one-sided that was, obviously, yeah. it seemed. But, uh, but there did seem to be that kind of balance they were all trying to figure out in their own way at that time mm -hmm. of like, well, what does it mean if I just want to go have sex with someone, but I still care intensely about you? Yeah. And you're all I think about. Yeah. And, and interesting that he found her emotional affair uh -huh. to be as devastating as a physical affair right. would have been for him. He right. was like, you're the part of you that matters you're sharing with someone else. Yeah. You know, yeah. he really did feel like that was kind of a betrayal. Uh-huh. Um, and I do wonder, maybe there's some trauma there where he's like, I, you know, I was concentrating all of this on my wife. And now she eight years in, she's like, I'm done with sex for always. Like, right. no one's going to fuck me ever again. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, I don't want to, you know, do that to someone else. Yeah. again." maybe he felt like it was actually a kindness to mm. spread it around. So mm -hmm. he didn't, I don't know, exhaust one, one lady over anyone else. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's speculation station. Right. But yeah, even though Juliet wrote him that angry letter uh -huh. <laughs> about how she wished she was dead, <laughs> she was always hurting so much from him randying around. Um, she did know who he was. She was very, very familiar with Victor Hugo. And in Intimate Sex Lives of Famous People, Irving Wallace writes, quote, she herself estimated that he had sex with at least 200 women between 1848 and 1850. My God. Within two years. Even at age 70, he managed to seduce the 22-year-old daughter of writer Théophile Gautier 
And it is possible that he was carrying on an affair with the actress Sarah Bernhardt simultaneously. Oh my God, her name keeps popping up in some of these stories too. We got to well, do a Sarah Bernhardt episode. We do, because she had many lovers. Yeah. It's insane. Her personal life on her Wikipedia page right. just goes on forever. And all big names, I A lot of big too. names, yeah. yeah. And I'll say, like, the reason they think that is because the, the uh, initials SB were found in his diary. Ah. Um, and he was known to be a friend of hers. Okay. But I'll say that on her Wikipedia page, there's no mention of them having an affair. So I don't know how how uh, clear confirmed that is. It's just one of those situations where you're like, well, each one of them had sex with everyone else right, in so their time. So they probably did with each other too. <laughs> I could totally see it. At least one night being like, I mean, why not? Let's give it a It'd whirl. It'd be weird if we didn't, right? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's going to think we did anyway. But like we said, there's really no denying the place that Juliet held in Victor's heart. Uh, in 1883, after years battling stomach cancer, Juliet died in Victor's arms at age 77. Mm. Wallace writes, quote, although his sex drive continued during the remaining two years of his life, her death seemed to break his spirit at last. It's also becoming more clear exactly how big a part Juliet played in some of Victor's writing mm. because she wrote him 20,000 letters oh my God. throughout her lifetime. Apparently, he he asked her to write to him every single day when. <laughs> oh, OK. And so she would she would, some of her letters were like, please don't make me do this anymore. I really have nothing to tell you oh, wow. because I don't get to go out and stuff. <laughs> so I have nothing to say. But, yeah, she wrote 20,000 letters to him. It's been a huge project to transcribe them and put them online. There's mm. like 12,000 are available now. Wow. Uh, but they're still working on them. And as more of them are being transcribed, yeah, it's kind of clear that she did influence his writing a little bit. Mm. Carol Seidel makes a strong point about this because she places a letter from Juliet side by side with one of Victor's later poems. So let's go down to Poetry Corner one more time to hear Victor Hugo's Words in the Shadow. Doubtless I have you. Doubtless I see you. Thought is a wine which makes its dreamers drunk. I know it. Nevertheless, I wish you'd dream of me. When you are thus through an evening with your books, without lifting your head and without saying a word to me, a shadow rests at the bottom of my heart that loves you. And for me to see you entirely, you must look at me a little from time to time yourself. And now let's hear Juliet's letter to Victor. Consider that I barely saw you, after all, since you worked all of the time without once lifting your eyes to me and without addressing a single word to me. I well know that I could look at you and did not deny myself that. But I don't see you as well when you don't look at me a little yourself from time to time. Pretty compelling. Yeah. But he, yeah. at least he got some of that from her. Oh, yeah. It's like a cover. Yeah. Right? Like he's like, oh, I got this letter, but I'm going to do my own little poetry version of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. I mean, you know, he definitely has his own beautiful writing and spin right, on it right. and everything. But I, I wonder if he's like, oh, this unrequited, you know, emotion. What d does he really know about unrequited <laughs> well, that's emotion? Fair. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's like, oh, I can use that to like write a poem about something a lot of people can, yeah. can relate to. Yeah. He's like, I don't, everyone requited me. I don't <laughs> know what that feels like. I am fully requited at all times. Yes. <laughs> King of requit. <laughs> now, Victor Hugo spent his last few years living on Avenue Victor Hugo, <laughs> oh. uh, which apparently is one of the only times that a, an avenue was renamed for a person who was still alive. Wow. This guy really had a lot of pull. 
He really did. And that really, really hugely appealed to his ego because he had his letters addressed to him as to Mr. Victor in his Avenue Perry. Oh, wow. Everybody knew where to go. Everyone knew where We're to go. We're just like, just look for where there's a line of ladies out the door. That's his place. <laughs> there's no if, cobblestones left. Right, yeah. <laughs> Historian Andrew Martin says that Hugo's journals detail eight different sexual encounters he had in the final four months of his life before he passed away in 1885 at the age of 83. Wow. So he's 83, still dogging it up. Yeah. Now, since he was a man of the people, you know, for all his wealth and fame, Hugo requested a pauper's funeral. Oh. He wanted to, like, be down there yeah. in the streets, you know. But Mind box, keep it quiet. That's right. Yeah. Pretty, pretty much. But Paris just could not do that. Okay, <laughs> sorry. You were too beloved and important. Uh-huh. And the famous story is that every brothel in Paris closed down for the day so all the prostitutes could go pay their respect to their best customer. Wow. But a historian on Reddit thread points out that one to two million people are estimated to have lined the streets for Hugo's funeral procession. And the population of Paris at the time was only around 2.3 million people. (laughs) Wow. So half or more (laughs) of Paris was outside. Yeah. So if the brothels were closed, it's because the prostitutes were on the streets finding clients. Oh, yeah. They weren't going inside. Right. Or they just had to be like, there's no business today. Exactly. So let me go out and party. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is pretty amazing. They're all like hanging out at the windows like, you know, ain't nobody coming in here. Wow. Let's just go out. We can give some alley blowjobs or something. Close the debt. Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. Wow. So regardless, Victor Hugo's death had a serious impact on Uh the French economy that day. (laughs) So true. (laughs) However, it was apparently confirmed by the Paris police that these ladies of the night did drape their genitals in black cloth as a sign of respect. (laughs) Like a funeral merkin. Wow. My vagina's in mourning. (laughs) You don't understand how much money it made me. Amazing. And also, Paris must have celebrated Victor Hugo just exactly as he would have liked, because urban legend says that the city experienced a mini baby boom nine months later. Oh, wow. (laughs) So they were out here just enjoying sexual congress. In his People name. like through tears are like, well, what should we do to honor him? Uh, I know. I, know I think I know what he would have wanted. <laughs> what he? What would he be doing right now? Uh-huh. <laughs> what would Victor Hugo do? <laughs> this is for you, Victor. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so that is Victor Hugo's randy, randy, randy life. What a life. I think I mentioned this before, but I, I'm so mad at the image I used to have yeah. of what authors and writers and stuff were like. Because you just, I think when you're a kid, they're just portrayed as these like shy nerds mm-hmm. who didn't do anything but sit in their rooms with their notebooks, mm-hmm. you know, go down to the local Starbucks and right? just type, type, type. Very serious, and they were out studious here, people. Yeah. They were out here living the craziest <laughs> goddamn lives. Of anyone. I know. Like adventure and sex and like just, right. you know, their own little version of rock and roll going on. I mean, it just also goes to show you that the idea of celebrity hasn't changed that much, at least in Western culture mm-hmm. uh, over the last few hundred years. Right. As they were all kind of doing the same thing. That's true. And it kind of makes sense for for writers. I mean, especially in the romantic period. Yeah. They, you know, they were like, the point is that I go out and experience yes. life, you know, and then I right. bottle it up for you. Uh-huh. The 
the too timid, you know, to enjoy in your living room because you're not like me. You can't go out there. and uh-huh. You don't have all these feelings erupting, you know, that sort of stuff. Do you think that Victor really showed his dad? Think that he I really wonder. was like, <laughs> I wonder, like I, I, you wanted me to go like see the world and join the army and fight and stuff. And he's like, but basically I made millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. I got laid constantly yeah. and ain't nobody ever shot a bullet towards my head. <laughs> No, so I think I win. I think I win, Dad. <laughs> I know. I do wonder that because they did reconcile later in his life. Yeah. And we know that he wrote the, him the letter yeah. about conceiving him on a mountaintop and right. how he that, mean, that meant he had a little something to do with <laughs> I that love that too. It's like, okay, so maybe you didn't make it as a writer, but <laughs> it's partly because of me, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, right? So, uh, you know, I just, maybe he was proud in his own way. Yeah, he yeah. just couldn't say it because he had been so he'd gone too hard on the lawyer uh-huh, shit, uh-huh. shit or something. But but yeah, I do wonder if he was like, oh, especially after getting all that money for uh-huh. Les Mis, if he was like, look at this check, man. <laughs> no one's ever been paid as much. Because <laughs> Leopold himself was kind of a, a horn dog. But oh, yeah, but not he's nearly. like, well, Son, I have slept with seven women in my life. Can you believe it? And Victor's like, oh, dad. Mm, I slept with seven women this morning. (laughs) (laughs) But all right. (laughs) Not even at the same time. One after (laughs) another. (laughs) I went from house to house. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Room to room. Wow. Another, you know, French history. It's just the gift that keeps on giving to us. It sure is. Sure is. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get out of France for our next episode. We'll hear some more uh, ridiculous stories coming up soon. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and what you thought about Victor's story, mm-hmm. uh, about your own experiences with his work, mm-hmm. uh, your own experiences with uh, brothels. M- multiple sex partners whatever. in one day. I yeah. mean, what, whatever you got. Yeah, we'll, we'll hear it. Shoot we'll it our it. way. <laughs> uh, please shoot us an email uh, if you'd like. A ridiculous at gmail.com. Right, or we're on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And I'm at oh great it's eli and the show is at verdict romance so reach out in whatever way you see fit uh drop us a review on apple Podcasts. we love those we love positive reviews there and we can't wait to see all the next episode thanks for listening y'all we'll see you next time bye so long friends it's time to go thanks for listening to our show tell your friends neighbors uncles and aunts to listen to our show ridiculous romance I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.